Welcome to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, with the assistance of the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guest is Maura Kelly, behavioral health peer liaison, and your hosts are Mike Benzen and Ernest Churchwell. We're glad, Maura, we're very glad to have you on this inaugural show. Thank you. Nice to be here. All right. I'm sure something that many people are wondering uh, is there's a lot that people don't understand about mental health issues. So an obvious question is, what causes people to have mental health issues? It's all the way you look at it, because a lot of people say there's no such thing as mental illness. Some people say it's, it's an opinion. There's no scientific evidence that states a certain behavior is caused by, some people say it's biological, it's inherited, but only 50% of our DNA is inherited from our parents. So where is the other 50%? So some people say it's one generation after another, and it's a chemical imbalance. And some people say it's environment. Most people labeled with mental health issues have experienced severe trauma in their life. We don't really know exactly what's caught, what what causes it. And it's interesting when people talk about it, it's not like this is the reason. They say we think or it should or it could be, you know, but no one has really factual information, data that correlates with a direct cause of mental illness. So it's basically in the eyes of the beholder what mental illness is. There's in Africa, there's villages who honor and reverend uh, the people that behave uh, unusual and they don't see mental illness as a mental illness. They see it as a very spiritual person of high regard and close to the spirits to be. So it's all uh, subjective. I guess that's uh, a way for people in certain societies to uh, become honored individuals. Yeah. I'm sure that many people, when they hear you say that there are possible biological factors that could be behind uh, behavioral health issues, they're wondering if you could describe some of these. Well, they talk, uh, uh, scientists talk about a chemical imbalance or a brain disorder where the neurons aren't connecting and they bounce off too quickly. And so they talk about that. I don't think it's something that is acquired. I don't think people choose to have mental illness. Mm. Um, I think people have it and a lot of people don't know they have it or a lot of people don't know that what they have is considered a mental illness in the United States, in our culture. It's different in every culture. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but. It gives a a much better idea of that aspect of things. But just as there's long been a kind of a nature versus nurture question, a lot of what might go into the way that people behave occurs because what has influenced them during their lifetime in and apart from their biology. What would you say are some environmental factors that could cause issues of a behavioral health sort? Well, right now, I would say the biggest environmental issue is COVID. 
a lot of people are socially isolated and alone. And just being by yourself is, I don't think it's very, very healthy for most people. Uh, it's interesting that after soldiers come home from war, they seem to be affected in such a degree that they're identified as having mental illness or often post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, reliving uh, terrible, horrible experiences that happened in the past and not adjusting and, and being uh, set off by certain sounds or reminders of what happened during a traumatic experience. And we know war is very traumatic. Uh, this COVID is very traumatic with people losing so many people and uh, being sick and financial problems and basically unpleasant things in our environment can cause people to be shaken up and not too mentally healthy. Ah, all right. Now, <clears throat> this may seem to be a kind of an obvious thing to ask, but there must be some people who are wondering about this. Oftentimes, individuals, once they find out that they have mental health or behavioral health issues, they decline to get help. Now, why would that be? One reason is because they don't see that they have a mental health issue. Uh, one thing I find interesting, I, I have a history of mental health issues, and sometimes everyone's wrong except for me. I am the one that's right. Everyone else is wrong. When I'm thinking all or nothing, that indicates to me that there's something wrong with me. There's something that needs help in me. And a lot of times people don't see in themselves especially first identified as having a mental illness, that they do have a mental illness, but uh, their behavior impacts other people. And it's important that people around, people that are demonstrating strange behavior, communicate that and express that and let that person know, because the last thing I want to do is hurt anyone or offend anyone. So the idea that that might happen, like I'll do anything to get help to prevent that from happening. You know, I, I don't want to, just be in my own world and because of my mental illness. So I seek out people I love, my community's feedback. So it's internally not knowing, it's not trusting, it's perception. That's why people, and then the stigma, the, the belief that someone is mentally ill discredits their authority. I've seen many, many times. It's like, oh, they're mentally ill. Oh, don't worry about what they said, you know. And um, the, the belief the someone with a mental illness, the beliefs that go along with that are so stigmatizing, are so negative uh, in most of our culture. And I know in the United States, it's so negative and um, hurtful and untrue. We, we have many, many successful people in our lives with mental illness, and those beliefs should be dispelled. Could some of the issue be that um, some people might think that when you're diagnosed with a mental illness, you're automatically sent to the hospital. And maybe that's one reason why people yes, don't talk I, about it. I think studies show, and this is especially with, for elderly with mental health issues, is that everyone wants to live in the least restrictive environment. They want to be independent. And if you tell someone they have a mental illness and you are going to have to be dependent on something or, or be your freedom is taken away because you have mental illness, it's scary, it's frightening, and it's a, a huge assumption from past treatment of mental illness it is not current 
that people with mental illness automatically go to the hospital. It is, it is not true anymore. It used to be. And the hospitalization of people with mental illness, the treatment, the history of the treatment of people with mental illness has been very abusive and terrible because people don't know what to do. They don't. So they guess and they come up with these theories and the theories in the history of treating mental illness have been very barbaric and scary. And the idea of going to a hospital that treats people in not humane ways is scary. Going to the hospital anyways, no one wants to go to the hospital. And losing that degree of independence if someone is labeled with a mental illness is a big fear. Is medication always involved when somebody's diagnosed with a mental illness? Well, a lot there's this I'm sure everyone has heard this oh they're off their medication they must be off their medication or oh there's something wrong with their medication well medication is thought to help and does help many many people but medication also hurts a lot of people as well if it's not taken as prescribed or the doctor doesn't monitor the blood work or uh, the side effects many of the medications to treat mental illness, one of the side effects is death. Um, people what, people with mental illness who are treated die, I think, eight years younger than the average population. And that's primarily due to obesity, which medication causes, smoking, which medication continue, that mental illness, people with certain mental health issues, smoking calms their symptoms. And, and so just getting treatment increases your death rate. So there, there's a lot of logical reasons why people don't take medication. And there's a lot of evidence-based practices that show that there's other effective ways to deal and treat with someone diagnosed with a mental illness besides just medication. It's not just take a pill and you'll be happy. We know that things have changed from the days of mental health institutions that you see in the old movies. <laughs> we like to think that uh, there's much more enlightened health care nowadays, although that may be a rash assumption, I suppose. Are there certain circumstances in which it's really in the best interests of the individual for them to be in a hospital setting while they're treated? Yes. People that are severely sick and severely impacted by their mental health to the degree that they can't care for themselves, they become a danger to themselves or a threat to our community. They they need to be taken out of the community in order to be safe. So only in life and death situations is a hospital needed nowadays to help the person, they call it medically stabilized. It's just basically it's taking a person out of the community to help them readjust a little bit and get them back in the community. And usually the average hospital stay for people with mental illness being treated for mental illness is eight to nine days. So mm -hmm. medication doesn't even work until the first two weeks or four or six weeks of taking the medication. So a hospital is really just a timeout and uh, you, you get proper food and a bed to sleep in and supports and 24 hour supervision while someone can 
just take a break and readjust to their living environment. What are some of the other things people can do to address mental health concerns? Uh, there's so many things. There's there's psychiatry, which is taking medication. There's getting counseling from a therapist. There's very there's many kinds of therapists that do different things. Uh, like a massage therapist it is different than a psychotherapist. Uh, people can talk things out and get, uh, we see reprogrammed sort of or readjusted on how to handle things or, or switch the thinking pattern uh, through therapy. Um, there's breathing, there's nature walks, um, every, there's yoga, there's Buddhism, there's religion, there's basically music, basically things that you do that make you feel good help with mental health. Yeah. We know that <clears throat> people, generally speaking, can have moods. They can vary how they feel depending on their circumstances and whatnot, how can one be assured that it's likely that they have a behavioral health issue? What can tell people, you know, I really need to get some assistance with this situation? I don't understand the question. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, <clears throat> in simple terms, how do people know by their feelings that they do indeed have a behavioral health issue. I know for me, when I am not feeling well and things aren't going the way I think they should, my support system is breaking down. My environment is, when when I don't feel good, when I don't feel right, I know I have to look at my mental health. And I think everyone does physically, mentally, spiritually, when those things are impacted, you know, it, it affects our mental health. Okay. Uh, there are terms that people here tossed about having to do with behavioral health issues that they probably don't understand what they truly mean. When they say that someone has a psychosis, what does that mean? Well, someone, they, they, they say, oh, that person's psychotic or they have, they're labeled as psychosis, which uh, psychiatrists of America, the medical model, um, say, I forgot the question, Ernie. Oh, uh, how would you uh, define psychosis? Oh, uh, psychosis is when someone of medical profession determines that the person with psychosis does not know the difference between right or wrong. So they're called psychotic. They don't know the difference from right and wrong, which there's very few few people that that pertains to, uh, most people know the difference between right and wrong oh and something which most people would consider a more severe form of behavioral health issue how do you define schizophrenia yes schizophrenia is when you're not experiencing the same reality as other people so you might be hearing things or seeing things that no one else hears or sees and to be diagnosed with schizophrenia that has to occur for at least six months at one time. So can you imagine living a life and for six months hearing and seeing things that aren't there? That is really torturous. And uh, the, the idea people with schizophrenia are very brave and strong people to have to endure that and to live through that and to live a, a great life despite having that. So it really takes a lot of information, self-discipline and, uh, the willingness to really take charge of what you determine is and is not real to successfully live with schizophrenia. Yes. And, and that goes to add that when someone with a mental health issue like schizophrenia is so isolated and separated from society, they don't have help in determining what is real and un unreal. 
And it just compounds the problem and the severity of schizophrenia without any support because of their behavior and because of community exclusion. And like, oh, stay away from that person. That That's like, people need help in to determining, is this real? Is this really happening? You know, doing a reality check that we all do just anyway. Although people in the field are making a attempt to avoid using the term, is there any circumstance where it's appropriate to say someone has a, quote, mental illness, unquote? Every day it changes in being politically correct. But I, I this week I heard a term as a person identifies as having a mental illness. So th- that's a new term. But to label someone an illness is not very nice. Like, I, uh, I wouldn't label someone cancer. Oh, there's there's a cancer, but people label, put a label on someone and call that person by the illness. Like, oh, there's a schizophrenic walking down the street. They would never say there's a cancerous person walking down the street or there's a, you know, a lymph node person, you know, or there's a sciatica nerve, you know, but they do that with, they label people that have mental illness by their sickness, which is really strange. So to be politically correct, basically, it's asking them, how do you identify yourself? How would you like to be identified? Asking them, do you do you identify as having a mental illness? Or maybe you're just thinking differently, you know, ask the person, it's always, it's always really important to be person centered, not generalized, not assume because mental illness for all the years I've worked and been involved with mental health, it's unique and it's not prescriptive at all to any one individual. It's not an exact illness. It's not scientifically there. So it's hard to uh, swoop everyone with a broad paintbrush. That they're, if they're labeled something, everyone else is going to be that same way with the same label. Okay, switching uh-huh. gears a little bit, um, what, what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? Well, a psychiatrist is a medical doctor and prescribes medication. A psychologist is a PhD doctor and identifies, diagnoses people and tries to correct or adjust that person's behavior through therapy, cognitive therapy, behavioral therapy, psychotherapy, basically, and therapy is like talking, through talking and the psychologist has different uh, tools and avenues used to help people get readjusted or adjusted back to their normalcy. So, do they work as part of a team or do you see either one or the other? Every individual is different. You know, there's a lot of behavioral health centers or community health centers that have a team of psychiatrists, a team of psychologists. Uh, but they're rare. And so then you have clinical licensed social workers. But each craft has a different way of going about it. Social workers focus on the environment and getting involved in that. Uh, Nurse practitioners, psychiatric nurse practitioners, focus on talk and prescribing medication. So uh, there's licensed mental health counselors that have two years of schooling, I, I believe, after a bachelor's degree and are trained to basically help people adjust to where they're at today. So all of those, I assume you can get uh, some sort of therapy from? Yes, yes. And which is often covered under health insurance. Okay. Yeah. 
So, so uh, what are, what are some of the things we need to know when we're when we're dealing with somebody who has a mental illness? So when approaching someone that is acting strangely or you're concerned about, Dr. Mark Reagans from California talks about approaching someone with curiosity, you know, asking questions like you know, how you doing? What, 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 what are you experiencing? You know, what does this mean? You know, uh, attitude of, you know, investigating where the person's at and also uh, understanding, seek to understand what the person's going through. So there can be a commonality. And also when approaching someone with a mental illness, remember that most of them are trauma survivors. And it's important to be, be very sensitive and try not to use force or uh, lying or things that can relate back to having trauma. That, that's a huge issue in our community these days where you know we read every day about police responding to somebody who's having a, uh, a challenge or an issue and, and you know not addressing it appropriately and, and you know now police departments are talking about what it might be like to maybe have a therapist on patrol with them and stuff like that. Does that happen more often than we think? Yes. In fact, the city of Buffalo police department has a critical incident team that are police officers that partner with mental health workers and will go out on a call if they suspect someone has a mental health issue and isn't committing a crime, but no one knows what to do with them. So uh, when no one when someone doesn't know what to do, they usually call the police, you know, and the police sort of get stuck dealing with it when it's not a police issue. So people don't know what to do and they don't comprehend mental illness. They don't see it. It's not like a broken leg. So they call the police and the police responds. But now they're learning that they have to respond in a more clinical medical issue perspective than uh, law enforcement guns loaded issue so, because not all people with a mental health illness are dangerous right right uh most people only three percent of all people with mental illness are violent most people labeled with mental illness are more likely to be victims of violence than perpetrators majority it's a fear, it's a discrimination, and, and it's stigmatizing. So people just assume, oh, mentally ill, dangerous. I'm not going to let them hold my child, you know, things like that. Now, how many people in the country do we think have a mental illness? Like, in, is that a number or a percentage? Interesting enough, the census in 2022, with the census, to be exact, they say one in four people now experience mental health issues, where a couple of years ago it was one in five. So that means approximately 83 million, 100,000, 912 people have been diagnosed or have lived or experienced a mental health issue in their lives. So that's a lot of people, one in four, 83 million people. Well, <clears throat> if only 3% of those one in four individuals um, are dangerous, why are people in general afraid of them? Well, people that are violent and dangerous the news picks up on it it's news uh it 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 rates well in the news people pay attention they sensationalize it they make it bigger than what it is uh they they identify you know people that are 
violence, a lot of them probably have cancer, but they, we don't associate cancer as someone having cancer as being violent or a threat to society, but they do with mental illness. You know, but I, I would guess that there's more violent people that have cancer than have mental illness. I suspect you could probably name some people who have behavioral health diagnoses uh, whose names listeners might recognize. Could you mention a few? Sure. Um, I got this from Bazaar magazine, but Bazaar uh, picked up 39 people, but quoted uh, like Adele, Adele from uh, Vanity Fair. I can slip in, in and out of depression quite easily. I didn't talk to anyone about it. I was very reluctant. Four of my friends felt the same way I did. And everyone was too embarrassed to talk about it. Adele, let's see, Miley Cyrus, Beyonce identifies. These people have always have identified themselves as having mental illness. We No one put that on them. Uh, depression, more Miley Cyrus. Depression, more of any issue than people really want to talk about because people don't know how to talk about being depressed. That, that it's totally okay to feel sad. I went through a time where I was really depressed. Um, I locked myself uh, in my room. And my dad had to break the door down. It, it was a lot to do with. Like, I had really bad skin and felt really bullied. You know, then there's Princess Diana had mental illness. J.K. Rowling has schizophrenia or been diagnosed. You know, the Harry Potter author, mm. you know, has schizophrenia. It says she has uh, schizophrenia. The uh, the Beach Boys guy uh, Wilson, uh, Brian Wilson. Has, yes, he he's identified as having schizophrenia. You know, Lady Gaga says she has a mental illness. Uh, a lot of people that we admire and look up to and envy also suffer from mental illness. You know, it's very common. What? Well, um... Wayne Johnson, too, has it. Good old oh, Wayne. The Rock. Yeah. My goodness. Well, I'm sure that you've probably raised the curiosity of a great number of listeners by what they've heard today. And I am confident that you can supply some avenues with, from which they can get more information. Yes. Thank you, Ernie. Um, the biggest and best and thorough most resource for people wanting information and understanding and even help in the United States is from a government-funded program called SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A, National Helpline. And you can call 1-800-662-HELP. Now, why that's the best is because they have a $3.5 million budget to spend yearly on research, evidence-based practices, peer supports. They are, and they can, they know all the treatment places and modalities available in the United States and can help anyone direct them to local services in their area. So it's SAMHSA National Hotline 1-800-662-HELP or 4357. S-A-M-H-S-A -S 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 -S
That's terrific. You've been great uh, responding to all of our questions and people can now have an avenue that they can get more information. I think we'll thank you very much for being with our guests and say sayonara. You've been listening to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, with the assistance of Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guest has been Maura Kelly, Behavioral Health Peer Liaison, and our hosts were Mike Benzen and Ernest Churchwell. This program features the song Thanks for Morning by Caliph Nasirs, available under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial license which can be viewed at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy dash nc slash 3.0 slash legal code.